and our purchasing power is 50% what it used to be. Anytime we're doing anything that's not Russian-based, it's crazy times. And as, as I told you, I got out of the Russian stock market beginning of the year. I smelled something was going on. <laughs> that's called luck, Beagles. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Hark. Is that like Sark? Have you seen Jon Stewart's new show? The Problem with no, Jon Stewart? No, but I... Yeah, there's a podcast I need to check out with him. He made the media rounds this week, right? Mm. Yeah, and a friend of mine sent me uh, one of his episodes. So I, I didn't watch it except for this, but he did an episode on the stock market um, and like the, oh, yeah. the system of the stock market. And at some point during that, he screams "Hark!" and then like scares himself. It's a, it's a very, it's a, it's an interesting. Anyway, that popped in my mind. I don't know why, but alas. that episode looked uh, it looked pretty solid. There, did uh, pay for order flow, and they break down like Robinhood and Citadel's business models and stuff. Might be yep. worth checking out for the listeners that are nerds like us. Yeah, I I would I'd I'd recommend, um, especially if some of this stuff is even new to you, because you know it's good to break down at like some of the more uh, basic levels, right, to get the foundations. But how you doing, man? I'm good. Hey, so uh, in our pre-show meeting, I know we said we were going to talk cars, but that was all a part of a game I'm playing on you. We're actually going to talk NFL Combine. You ready for this? No. <laughs> all right diggles just 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 bear with me for a second big news out of the nfl combine which is where they dress like 300 pound men in tights and ask them to do uh drills which is hilarious you should that is, all, that everyone the, enjoys that that's the best explanation for the nfl combine i've ever heard it, it's that. completely worthless but two two big stories came out one is well one was a big story and one is a big story only on the skippy diggles show first is the quarterback, uh, his name's Malik Willis, if I remember correctly. He's one of the top quarterbacks. He was filmed from a guy across the street, a reporter having lunch. He was filmed giving some gear to a homeless guy, which is like absolutely amazing. Um, so he stops, he opens up a suitcase, and he starts going through all this stuff that's wrapped in plastic and hand and clothes to this guy. So first of all, props. It's amazing. That's great. That... Um, tied to another story where uh, the other potential number one pick uh, defensive end from Oregon is given an interview and he starts actively moving his arms and the tags on his shirt are like still there <laughs> because you probably don't know this Douglas, but the, uh, the whole combine is like sponsored now. So they have like different brands that put defensive end 46 and it's like this whole thing and, and they want people to go buy NFL combine gear. So, these kids who are all about to be multimillionaires have so much free stuff that they're either wearing brand new clothing that still has its tags on that's going to be thrown away shortly or giving it to homeless people. Could we just, would you be on board with just like letting the kids wear the t-shirts that they already have just or do we it. have to wastefully? Just stop it. Yes. <laughs> uh, I got to check that one out though. I love that. It's like he's got his rent the runway. I love it. Yeah, it's it's basically like... Sex in the City meets the NFL Combine, <laughs> and 
from the best I can tell, all the kids want to give away this clothing at, immediately as it arrives. It's just, <laughs> we could shut down a factory too, man. Uh, that's probably true with a lot of apparel stuff. I do love it. Oh, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're not investing, you're not investing, uh, humor stuff is, I love it. It gets me going. Rants. Rants. And, it's basically rants. And especially with everything that's happening right now, it's, uh, it's nice to get some levity going on around these parts, man. How was your week? Um, pretty good. Yeah, is 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 pretty good overall. Um, watching this. So there's the the Ukraine Russia, you know, stuff that's happening overall, which we talked about, you know, our hearts with the Ukraine and watching the Russian stock market just collapse will become non-existent effectively as well because it yeah. shut down. It takes me back to we had we talked about this a few months ago. I think the episode was never underestimate Florida man. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked about the largest drawdowns in some countries like around the world. I'll hit on a couple of those points, but it's like, it's the point of this is that these are, at what point does a drawdown become not a drawdown, but basically an elimination of a market. Um, And you've brought up how there's always like the belief that stock markets will, they'll fall and they'll come back. But, you know, sometimes they just keep falling. Uh, France, worst bear market, 99.36%, which like what's, what's that 0.64% doing? Like what are you doing? Germany back in the 1920s, negative 92.48%, right? Um, it's like just getting eliminated, right? Russia right now is is over uh, 90%. Um, and it's closed. So it closed on Monday, has not, has not opened back up. Uh, and when I was reading through some articles this week, I didn't realize how historically, I'm going to say how often, it's not that it's that often, but more than I would have thought, like stock markets will close for an extended period of time. Like uh, in the US even, uh, between July and December of 1914, right? That's the early part of uh, World War One. The stock market closed. Right? Yep. It's just like just shut, right? Uh, it's it's kind of wild. It's very wild, and thinking about the the uncertainty that comes with that. So, I one of the fascinating, most fascinating aspects of this conflict, which is just so incredibly sad, is kind of the economic ramifications of the sanctions and uh, impacts to the economy and everything else. So uh, last week, I read that the demand for cash in Russia was up 58 times as it was previously. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what what that must be like? We've never stood in line at an ATM hoping to get a few bucks. And then can you imagine if on top of that, your currency is devalued 30 to 50% basically overnight? And if you look at the longer term trends if you look at russia the russian ruples purchasing power over like the past 20 years compared to the us dollar it's eroded more than 10 times i mean just drastic i don't even know how life is the same one of the articles i really liked this week was a profile of uh russians that had planned travel and it's simple stuff like there was a trip to a beachy spot in southern europe i forget exactly where that was like a gift someone had received for International Women's Day, which, by the way, dude, because I didn't know that I was a thing. Like, apparently, you and I got to pick it up. We got Valentine's Day, birthdays, and International <laughs> Women's Day. But, man, it was just a simple middle-class Russian family that didn't want any part to do with the war. And 
their flights are canceled. They lost their hotel deposit. I mean, I'm not saying, whoa, it was me. There's worse things happening in the world for sure. But it's just interesting to read those accounts because they're kind of like, uh, we just wanted to get away. And now we don't even have the ability to. And our purchasing power is 50% what it used to be. Anytime we're doing anything that's not Russian based, it's crazy times. And as, as I told you, I got out of the Russian stock market beginning of the year. I smelled something was going on. <laughs> That's called luck, Deagles. It's, oh, um, it's huge, huge amount of luck. Um, you'll be happy to know that the value investor over here, that uh, Russia was like the third cheapest stock market in the world going into this. So, of course, I had some exposure. That's all right. You win some, you lose some. It doesn't, it doesn't really bother me at the end of the day. But uh, part of me wishes I would have been more concerned about the conflict than I was yep. two months back. There's this uh, this graph that's going around this week about the percent. It's like domestic holdings, effectively by country yeah. um, in equities. And so, speaking of Russia, and then hit on a couple other countries here. Ninety five percent of equities held by Russians are held in the Russian stock market. Well, this is as of two ten. So zero yeah. percent of right. I mean, effectively at this point, but. No, That's that like, 95%, the 5% probably turned into 50% because it remained yeah. fairly constant value and the 95% yeah, exactly. went down drastically. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to throw out some other uh, some other countries and then get your take cuz you're always screaming from the rooftops about uh, diversifying internationally. Bangladesh. Hundo percent. Bangladesh is like I don't do even see think, countries. No, do we think it's not allowed to invest internationally in Bangladesh? That's my guess. India. 99%. Turkey, something like that too. Like yeah. 98, 99%. It's well, you might you might be right. I mean, I'm sure that there's probably it's either not allowed or just general access. Right? I mean, it, it's it's unlikely, right, that they have the same um options, especially given I did some real, I'm gonna call it back of the envelope, just Googling around to get a sense for what percent of people in these countries own stocks, mm-hmm. right? Because it um, because oftentimes I think uh, folks, especially Americans, can get like an ethnocentric view where you you say like our world is the same as what the rest of like these countries might be. And so in the U.S. for for folks for a baseline, uh, about 56 percent of Americans own an equity of some kind, whether it's a 401k, IRA, individual stocks, ETFs, et cetera. 56 percent in India. Guess what that is? Five uh, percent. Seven percent, yeah. Wow. Russia, four percent. Turkey, Russia is worse than India. Yeah. Turkey, three percent. So, you know, again, these are just back of the envelope googling around. Um, Back of the internet, I guess maybe is what that really is. But yeah. So it's but roughly directionally, right? You kind of get the sense. So it's it's. I'm gonna assume in the U.S. You know, we've talked about the uh, inequality of investing in the stock market in the U.S. So that fifty six percent like the vast, vast majority is held by a small number of people. I'm sure in Russia, it's like of the 4%, the 4% are probably billionaires, right? It's like some, something of, the, of that nature. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's, it's not as if it's the bulk of the Russian economy or bulk of Russians, right? So therefore, bulk of the Russian economy is invested in the stock market and the stock market gets wiped out. But it always is, even in you know 1929 here, not very many Americans percentage wise were invested in the stock market, but it's still like representative. Like it's the, Oh yeah. 
you know, it's the companies, the largest companies in your country are have, it, don't have access it's to incredibly impactful. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I mean, to your point. So if only say 5% of the population owns stocks, still maybe 50% of the population works for companies that are going to be impacted by a drawdown this significant. And maybe that ultimately leads to layoffs or other challenges in the workplace. That's a great stat though, Dougal. So when you say that your average Russian stockholder has 95% Russian equities, it sounds really bad knowing what is happening to that stock market today. But if that's only 5% of the total population, it's a different ballgame. It's still probably very impactful. It all is very impactful. And hey, you know, the only positive spin on that is at least their buildings aren't being bombed and innocent people aren't dying. I mean, the stuff happening in Ukraine is so much worse than any of the economic nonsense we talk about on the show. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. Um, and the last week we talked about how China is being eerily silent. Yeah. Right. I don't want to go into the, the political side of this, but I, I was reading this New York Times article this week that was saying that uh, uh, Xi, uh, the president of China, asked Putin to wait until after the Olympics to invade Ukraine. So, Dougals, I want to take on this because I didn't I wasn't able to do a deep dive on that. You know that there's this pact among nations um, that participate in the Olympics. that There will be no aggression during the Olympics because it's like this sign of unity across the globe. And if I remember correctly, something like 176 of the 180 countries that participated had signed that pack. Well, uh, if, again, if I remember correctly, I don't think Russia was part of that. But did this article imply that that was simply a Chinese Russia thing? Or was a larger component of that the spirit of the Olympics? No, it was a Chinese Russia thing. So uh, Putin and, and Xi had gotten together, and they were meeting. And allegedly, he asked Putin not to to invade. Because Back in the when in 2008, during the Summer Olympics in Beijing, Russia went into Georgia and the Chinese were peeved about that one. And so it's like, you have shown a negative track record, right? Of allowing <laughs> our Olympics. We're going to have a preemptive occur. disciplinary yeah. conversation. Wow. And then, and then think about it. So the, the Olympics ended that Sunday. And yeah. then Monday, Putin comes out with his video that says, it's time. I don't like Quink this at all. Kowinky dink? I think not. I think yeah. not. So, yeah. Um, and then uh, the in, in the like uh, future, the State of the Union, if at the equivalent of the State of the Union in China, like no mention of Russia, Ukraine either. Yeah. Speaking of that. So I, I think that's one of the more interesting I'll call it, what do you even call it? In China, it's almost like a country economic plan. And they targeted 5.5% GDP growth, if I remember correctly. The, the thing I want to mention there is two things, Dougals. One, I kept reading through all the articles being like, where's the mention that says Baba, we're going to let Baba run? And, and like that we like Tal Education Group. I, I didn't see those in either Nothing. of the articles. which. Nothing. I'm sure that's just it's lost in translation at this point because it's got to be in there. Yeah, it's just special oversight. Joke for the, <laughs> yeah, special joke for the listeners there. But I think that's probably the most meaningful of these things because when 
the Chinese government comes out and says, we're going to grow at X, they've shown in the past a willingness to uh, jump through a lot of hoops to get to that target range. Um, yeah. So if they say five and a half percent and you have some Chinese holdings that might be impacted by that, I think they'll take on more debt. If they need to take on more debt, they'll fi finance more real estate exposure to get there. Um, it's very interesting to read through. I read the breakdowns in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal on it and came away with different conclusions. So it's just funny to see how that happens, how uh, yeah. other people digest it and pass it along. And it's not even jumping through hoops because of the amount of control, like command and control that exists there. It's like it's just making it happen. Um, he he decides right to do something and, and it shall be done but i hear you it's kind of like when you're talking about tim cook and the supply chain it's like all costs the supply chain <laughs> we're, will work we're gonna make this happen yeah, yeah. it's it's gonna happen uh fully agreed um five and a half percent and they've they've been paying down their debt a bit and now it's, that's likely gonna ramp back up just to to make sure that this happens um a lot of talk about military spending as well in there yes i i wasn't a huge fan of that i'm not it's just to be crystal clear, not a huge fan of that for any country, um, but I understand the current environment and uh, totally get it. So now are you ready to talk cars, Diggles? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. What's your uh, what's the average dealer profit from a new vehicle sale? Historically, I'll say the 15 years leading up to 2020 percent wise guesses? or what? Uh, let's do gross dollars, gross dollars. Um... 6k it's about 1500 bucks really go in buy a new vehicle yeah average gross dealer profit is about 1500 bucks typically that's been split roughly 50 50 between the profit on the vehicle basically purchase price to what they pay and some financing and insurance profits right uh, the finance and insurance profits can work multiple ways. Sometimes they are basically selling that paper someone else for a fee. Um, sometimes they have an in-house financing arm where they know default rates and you know interest percentages and they're running the net present value to say, hey, this is worth a thousand bucks when we finance this vehicle. Now, any guesses what that figure looked like in 2021 and into 2022? I can, I'm I'm obviously terrible at understanding car knowledge, so spit it out. Almost four thousand dollars last year, almost four thousand dollars historically. Fifteen hundred bucks. This was the worst time ever for me to buy a car, Dougals, as we knew. So there's a lot going on there. The Wall Street Journal did a breakdown where they talk about people going to dealerships and trying to pay cash, and then being told that it's either more expensive to pay cash or that. Cash is not accepted here, basically because the dealerships don't want to give up that extra profit margin. Is this like fair and responsible, Diggles? Do it's we care? It's so backwards. Like, how do you? It's a bird in hand. You know what I mean? I don't care how many are in the bush. Like that. That's well, a. Yeah, but don't you? I mean, you understand the economic incentives on their side, right? I, I, do, I understand the short-term economic incentives, but the, I would think that there's some risk-reward calculation that in the end, you kind of always want the cash is what I would assume. Like you're still taking on some level of risk. Yeah, so in, uh, in 2005, about 41% 40 of cars were financed at the dealer. And then about 40% were paid with 
cash or outside financing. Unfortunately, they have those blended together here. Let's assume it's cash for the sake of this. And then about 20-ish percent were leased. All right, so that's your baseline, 2005. Today, almost 55% of transactions are get dealer financing, about 20% get cash, and about 25% are leased. So there's more financing happening. The reason I want to point that out is this actually makes me less bullish on like automotive manufacturers in this really roundabout way that I'm probably the only one that has this concern. It's showing that your product only sells with financing. So then, of course, you're more dependent on current rates. Rates have been historic lows for a long, long time. What's going to happen to the automotive market when rates go up? Like, it's nothing good because less and less people pay cash for it. It's kind of the story of nearly all goods are, are like large purchases right now, right? Is it that different? That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, you're you. I'd assume you. It's the uh, the premium market is likely going to hit the worst at the end of this, right? So you'll have your yep. your Tesla, Beamer W, Rover of lands. You know, like all those things will will probably still be I unless people are overextending themselves to get them now anyway. Which in which case they'll also get hit. But it's a luxury car, dude. Very few people buy a luxury car without overextending themselves, right? I don't know. <laughs> all right i'm gonna dip right quick into the fishbowl for a quick hit is that okay yeah this is continuing the um the skippy told me not to buy occidental petroleum you know who, oh, i'm so happy we're gonna get here this is on you know my who list too you know who didn't listen to you okay first of all so let's catch the chase and say buffett bought some oxy good for buffett Let's just also to be clear, Occidental Petroleum, just to, just to, so we don't. <laughs> he probably he probably bought both. <laughs> Kids out there, we're joking. But uh, so I haven't seen like official terms. Sometimes he gets preferred stock. Sometimes he gets 100%. special dividends. He might have a deal that is not available to Dougals. He also bought it uh, twelve months after you were debating buying it, and the economics have changed they still have a lot of debt but yeah that stock went up 17 percent on friday 17 percent. that's uh what happens with the skippy bump too when it goes public i just try and keep <laughs> it under wraps <laughs> so you no, bought 30 million shares okay yeah, yeah 1.8 um, billion right are Something you like are you new th- yeah are you thinking about it now are you gonna no. jump in no not at all when I was looking at Oxy, it was something. It was like eight bucks, or something like that. It was like eight or nine dollars. Yeah. Like it was. It was way. It was so dirt cheap, but also to the point of where. And you, to be fair, you did not tell me not to buy it. That is not your approach generally. Um, it was more of a. Um, it's like Dougal's. I'm sure you looked at the amount of debt that they have, and I was like, I did. And you went, Is that a good idea? And I was like, oh, Probably not. But yeah, it was more like eight or nine dollars. Like it was so so. I cheap might not be the right word. I want to like. Its price was so so low. Whether or not it was, <laughs> it was yeah. whether or not it was cheap was the question. Is it just like is it over, right? But uh, Buffett's interesting because of his history of being in this market. Like he understands the, or he has a lot of experience, I should say, in analyzing the oil and gas industry. So it's interesting him diving in this deeply here. We talked a while back about my investments in Exxon and Royal Dutch Shell that happened about twenty four months ago. 
uh, that have made great returns. And I felt like we're a good method of risk and reward. Just looking at stock price here. Yeah, it was back in the nine bucks a share range. It's currently at 56. Would have been great return for you, Diggles. I can't imagine how much happier you'd be. The show would be so much better if you would just purchase some. But, you know, historically, 2018, 2019, the stock ranged in between 60 and 80 or so. So obviously, none of this is investing advice, guys. But just doing a cursory look through, like, the holdings I have, I'm starting to run some analysis on if they're potentially overpriced or at least at fair value, which could mean I, I'd be considering exiting something like Exxon or Royal Dutch Shell. It's interesting to see Buffett get in at this point because it already has run so much. Now, I think there's a nice return to be had potentially, but I like to get into oil when prices are at 10-year lows and right now prices are at 10-year highs. You know, it's like I, I do kind of wonder what he's thinking about this. And again, until I really know the terms, maybe this was just too sweet of a deal to pass up. Yeah, I think the terms are definitely uh, important here. Like, obviously, very, very important. And I, I'm also curious as to just what general knowledge he might have. Uh, new business ventures, um, potential like investment opportunities that they're taking on, uh, whether or not they, they found reserves or who knows. Right, like what what he also might know, and so the price of oil purely may not be what matters. I don't know, but but it is it is interesting. Yeah, but it's, it's really not... tough to it's it's really tough to swim against that, regardless of what your petroleum company is. If the price of oil gets goes down seventy percent, you're gonna have a really hard time having the stock not be hit significantly. Yeah, but Buffett's swinging is swimming in the woods, so he's having a hard time swimming anyway. Um, I, no, yeah. Last I thing it. on this. And it's, it's pure speculation, but where they were so debt heavy and Carl Icahn was in there, um, he still is. He has two board seats, if I remember correctly. Um, I thought they were saying that like, Icahn may have sold it, his shares to Buffett. Uh, so there is some speculation of that, and that's where I was going, actually. It's possible that Buffett said, I'm sitting on a bunch of cash. I'll stabilize your debt burden and effectively take these shares either at a steep discount or as part of those terms. And that... I'm sure Buffett got a slam dunk deal. I just think that it's important that we say that don't always follow Buffett because you don't necessarily have access to what he has access to. And as we talked about, I think even last week, he's only buying the world's largest companies too. In a ways, you have a lot of advantages that Buffett doesn't have. Fully agreed. When you follow, when you look at like 13Fs and follow other people's investments, you don't know the terms. You don't know when they bought. And a lot of times... Uh, you don't know what they know. Like there's, you don't know what hedges they have. Like there, there's a lot that uh, that ends up going yeah. into it. So, can I dive you? or do you do you have, what's your, what's your fishbowl situation? No, go for it. Go for it. All right. So, this a little bit goes back to the the dropping of the markets and the large drawdowns that we talked about. But thinking about how I've mentioned a couple times recently, we've talked about it a lot. But like the stay invested concept, you know. Yeah. And how privileged i think in a lot of ways or maybe every way it is to be in the u.s live in the u.s be american and talk about the u.s stock market with that right because other stock markets it's just it's very different uh, and i saw this um this jp morgan article that was it was called the case for always staying invested right um and the three big points they had were one diversification so it was talking about how 
not being in equities, but like make sure to stay invested, but be diversified. And the 40-60 portfolio, which I think is nonsense right now, if I'm being honest, but they're talking about the 40-60 portfolio uh, and how that's the way to go. The second thing they, they pointed out was, and this gets back a little bit to my, um, my VTI analysis, but they looked at it in a little bit of a different way. So they looked at between 2002 and 2022, the annualized return, if you were fully invested the whole time, if you missed the top 10 days, top 20 days, top 30 days. And so when, I, when we were talking about this with my VTI, we were looking at um, what percent of your gains you'd lose, but looking at yeah. it from an annualized perspective is interesting. So fully invested 9.4% per year is what you'd gain. The top 10 days would, it would take it to 5.21%, which I think we'd said it's like half your return or something. So that's yep. like fairly the same. Um, and then missed the 20 best days, 2.5%. Missed the 30 best days, 0.32% per year. What was actually interesting um, that I saw here was uh, that the seven of the 10 best days occurred within 15 days of the 10 worst days. And so it gets more back to what we were discussing, how it's the time that someone's most likely to get out that those best days, those best days are likely to happen. Um, so I thought that point was, was interesting. Yeah, I love it. Every time I hear the stats, it, it's shocking. Like it just really is. Um, but I might start calling you like Diggle's confirmation bias over there. Are you just randomly Googling stay invested and then what articles pop up? This is like three or four straight weeks in a row. Don't look at my history. No, I am bringing, I'm bringing it up a lot recently because I think during these times when the market is getting hit like this, and we have a lot going on is when people are thinking more about like, should I be in, should I not? And all that kind of stuff. So that's why I'm bringing it up. The third thing they had in here, it's like their markets bounce back and specifically the US markets, right? Bounce back yeah. section. What they did was they listed out uh, the year and what bad event happened. And then what the cumulative return in the stock market has been since that. And so it's like, yeah, Barry Ritzholtz did something similar. And it's just awesome to look back. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it, go for it. This is great. Yeah. stuff. it's like, a, so Y2K, 467% return. Uh, September 11th, 415% uh, return. Uh, 2007, the subprime uh, blow up, 333%. Uh, the BP oil spill, 415%. Uh, taper tantrum, which is just, a, I just love that phrase. Like, cause I just picture federal reserve governors, like <laughs> banging their, their fists on the floor and crying. Um, but so taper tantrum in 2013, 278%, right. And there's, there's like about it's every year. So there's 20 or so um, of these that they have on there. And again, I think it's a, it's kind of a, a vanity chart to me in a lot of ways, yeah. but at the same time, it just says a lot of bad things happen and the market keeps going. Like that is the, that's the overall point. Those return percentages are, um, like to date they seem to like very large numbers so i want to make sure i'm understanding them correctly yeah it's the cumulative return um, of the s p 500 from the year before this event happened to now okay so perfect yeah. that is plenty yeah yeah i, I used to have a shirt that said i survived the great uh rate hike of 20 uh 2008 because i don't know if you remember those times but it was incredible <laughs> where'd you get this shirt it's custom. It's it tough to come by. <laughs> you have to be deep economics nerd to get a. And actually, I might have said the wrong date because it's when no, it was like the Great Rake hike of like 2013 or something. Because they 
it all got cut in 2008 and then it was zero for like multiple years it was the taper tantrum yeah yeah so what year was that 2013 yeah okay yeah Yeah. i survived the great rate hike of 2013 (laughs) all right what else is in your fishbowl that's all i got you good i know i've told you that i had that equity insurance experiment Mm -hmm. going right World War Three breaks out. Equity insurance should be the perfect. I should have retired already. I should be on a beach somewhere, Wait, right? Did Did you write that Reddit post? <laughs> was, was no, that, no, no, no. Okay. No, I don't let my emotions get like that. I mean, I sometimes I feel those things, but no, I would never like rant about it. So, okay, here's what happened, and I just, I, I mean, I guess I just think you might f- think it's interesting. So. A month or so ago, when I first took my position, freaking all my stocks and value and the, really the stock market was going up. I'm like way up. And when, if you're just talking about SPY, if SPY's up like 5%, that means your insurance is going to be like cut in half, right? Because it's so yep. dramatic. So then when things stabilize and then when you ultimately end up going down, as you tread down slowly like whatever got cut in half or more might have like doubled or tripled but you basically still don't get back to par and i knew that was how it worked but it's so weird because it's like if i would have bought puts against the russian stock market or even some of my like international emerging market funds i'd be heavy in the money right now it's just such an interesting experiment. Yeah. I'm obviously continuing for a while, and I think I tempered my expectations. But at the same point, I'm like, this is not good equity insurance. You know, like, well, I think you're you're kind of saying it's often going to go to zero, but when it doesn't, right? Like, it, it reminds me of I just reread um, the Black Swan, right? Again, I, it's, yeah. I he's I I like Talib. He's just funny. Um, and intelligent. But so reread that. And there was something I didn't, I didn't remember that he brought up. He was talking about, he's saying like the portfolio you should have, it's not the way he talked about it, but something like the portfolio you should have is 90 to 95% of your money is in like treasury bills, like just a safe, safe investment. And the other five to 10% is like, is aggressive. Like you're just going all out. Like it's either going to be the black swan or it's not. And that you just, you continually do that. Right. And it was um, it got me. I want to play around with some things. I I'm not even interested actually in having that portfolio, but I want to play around with some things just to see yeah. to see uh what it looks like. But I hadn't remembered that from it's been a while since I read that book. But um, but it was kind of it was just really interesting like to think about of you you effectively you're just playing real aggressive, like roulette effectively with five to ten percent, and the rest is just hanging out being awesome. Well, the flip side of my equation, like so I'm going because uh, but in a way, this equity insurance is working because my portfolio is down like, I don't know, 5% total or something. Mm. And so I haven't Are you bragging? Fine. I haven't had... What's that? <laughs> Sounds like you're bragging. <laughs> That's not happening over here. So. <laughs> oh, um, no. I mean, I can give you the real numbers. I'm not bragging. No, 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 I'm, jo- I'm joking. But, I was joking. <laughs> like, so if my portfolio was down 30%, and my insurance didn't do anything i'd be super pissed yep. but it's not like you know i kind of insured against 
really dramatic drops and even though the world events feel really dramatic the impact of the portfolio is like painful but not the end of the world right yep here's the other thing i thought about though Dougals, and we live in the u.s we're blessed this wouldn't happen to us but what if i had portfolio what if i was sitting in russia i had por- this same portfolio insurance i only had a half a percent of my portfolio on the russian s p 500 like do you know what my returns would be well, what I'm insane. curious about, yeah, it's it sounds like it would be, but what I'm curious about is, does that exist in reality or only on paper? Because if the market completely shuts down, can you get out of your position? Like, so the, the market I mean, isn't yes. open. If they never open the stock market right. again, I'm screwed. But what's gonna happen to Russia is at some point, like I might be sitting on my hands for three months, being like, my paper winnings are are X, yep. you know, but. Yeah, I think it means if there's 90% drawdown in the stock market that I have insurance against, like I make, I now that I maybe only lose like whatever 30% of my money because this half a percent yeah, explodes yeah. and the rest craters. Um, it's yeah. just interesting. Mm, it I still feel like I'm learning from it and don't have regrets about it, but it's just weird. It's complicated. I mean, it's, it's a yeah, lot of mechanics, right? You got going on, but it's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right. SkippyDougals.com. It's your one-stop shop. Please rate and review the podcast. It helps people find us. So you can go click on those stars, write up that review. We appreciate it. And SkippyDougals at gmail.com if you want to send us some listener mail. Thanks, guys.